This podcast was recorded live at Life Church Lancashire. For more information on who we are and what we do, visit lifelanks.org. You know what, to be around faithful believers who really believe in a God who is able, a God who is living, a God who is good all the time. I, just so, I was just struck when we began to sing, where would I be without you? I began to think, where would I be if God wasn't with me? If God wasn't for me, where would I be? God is so, so good. Thank you, church. Thank you for the way you've partnered with the message. Thank you for the way you've made mission happen, the way you're taking mission for Burnley seriously. You're not just a church that likes to gather on a Sunday. You're not just a church that likes to get together to sing. You're a church that is on mission, the mission of God, and that is a wonderful thing. And it's that mission of God that I want to talk to you about today. We're going to continue with your series on rhythm. Rhythm. I've really enjoyed your series. In fact, I've watched every single one. There's only been three, let's be honest. But I've watched all three of your talks so far uh, to try and get a vibe, to try and understand what is important about this series, what is important about this concept of rhythm. I enjoyed Pete uh, talking about baptism, and I love how it then happened, and three people got baptized that morning. I loved listening to Bryony talking about giving. I was like, I was challenged. That was a great service, wasn't it? And then Jeff teaching us again about service. Lives laid down for God. Because of all that he's done for us, we lay our lives down. Wonderful. Everything has rhythm. That's the thing I've heard at the start of each one of the series talks. Everything has rhythm. I just want to say it's not true. Because if you've seen me dance, you would know that not everything has rhythm. It was awkward this morning. Everybody around me was dancing. And I was like, oh, Lord, not one of those churches. Because... Because uh, this, this is where I get shown up. But when things have got rhythm, we know they're working. When things are, have rhythm, we know there is order. We know they're regulated. We know they're working effectively. They're working as they should. And when today, as we begin to look at mission, it's almost like where there is rhythm in mission, you know the church is doing what the church should be doing. And that's why we need to get stuck in and look at what the mission of the church should be. We are called to the mission of God. It's God's mission. And we are called to go, and he calls us to go. We're called to be a people on mission. But how? What is the rhythm? What is the rhythm that the the scriptures teach us? And actually Jesus does a wonderful job. When we jump into Luke chapter 10, we hear about Jesus sending out 72 disciples. And and the instructions that he gives to these 72 are a rhythm that I want to really dig into. So let's start with verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Before we get into the detail, let me just start with this. The Lord appoints. How incredibly important, how incredibly powerful is that? The Lord chooses, Jesus chooses, and Jesus sends. It's not your church that sends you, it's Jesus that sends you. We too have got to remember that. It's not that Jesus calls 72, but he calls his disciples. He calls his people. We must remember who sends us. Never forget. We're appointed by Jesus. We're appointed to do his ministry. We're appointed to do his mission. This is a heavenly calling. 
But I don't know about you, but sometimes when you hear the talk on mission, you're like, oh, I, I, you know what? I flipping hate mission. I remember when I first got saved, uh, like as an adult, as a young adult, and I was committing my life to following Jesus, I got added to this group in my church called the Thai Team, training in evangelism. And I didn't want to be in the Thai Team. I wanted to be in the stay in church and uh, just sing team, and uh, not dance team. And... Uh, and so I had to go to this thing and they started to train me and then they'd take me to different towns and villages around the northwest and there I'd have to evangelize and they made me wear white gloves and do drama on the street. It was a poor, there was this chair called sin that I'd get stuck to. I hated it. It was humiliating, it was embarrassing. One particular time we were in a place called Middlewich uh, in Cheshire and uh, Man, uh, the leader said, right, so what's going to happen now is we're going to split you into twos and you're going to go knock on some doors. And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm not knocking anyone's door. This is, could it get any worse? I'm like, Lord, just come back now. Beam, that'll do. And, uh, and thankfully, when they split them all up into twos, there was going to be one person on their own. And I thought, it's me. I said, don't worry, I feel confident enough, I'll go on my own. And so everybody went off, I went to the shop, bought some sweets and went and hid in a wood because <laughs> there is no chance I was going to do it. No chance. But mission is not the idea of a, ch of a church leader. Mission is not the idea of someone who leads a tie team. This is the calling of God upon us. This is the appointing and the anointing of Jesus who says, come and do what I do. Come and join me on the mission of God. And it's beautiful. Imagine being picked by Jesus. As he's surrounded by a multitude, he starts to select 72. Like the greatest football team of all time. He's like, you two, you two. Yes, you at the back. I would just love it. Imagine being picked out by Jesus. You're going to go. I'm going to send you. It'd be incredible. And next, Jesus sends them out in pairs. That's really important, you know. Sends them out in twos. It's a new rhythm. You're never sent alone. You wandering around town with a big sign strapped to your back that says, turn or burn, probably isn't the mission of God. Jesus doesn't encourage loan working maybe the testing of your calling is whether people will go with you we're supposed to do it together discipleship mission happens best in teams what is it that ecclesiastes 4 verse 9 says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor if either of them falls down. One can help the other up. Two are better than one. There's accountability. There's encouragement. When it all goes a bit pear-shaped and you want to hide in a wood because you don't like mission, someone's going to say, come on, lads. You can do this. Jesus is for us. Let's get on with the mission. Where is he sending us? Where is he sending us? First one again ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. I absolutely love this. The 72 are sent by Jesus where he sends them out ahead of him, where he's intending to go. They've got to prepare the way for the Messiah, for the King to come, for the Savior to come. What a beautiful way to view the mission that we have. We are sent on the mission of God, sent out to prepare a way for Jesus. We go ahead of him. And so we announced, oh, Jesus is coming. 
Wait till the guy behind me arrives. Wait until you see Jesus. You know, sometimes I feel like I've got to go in and I've got to get everyone saved and I've got to run around like a nutter. I, if you look at this, the message is simple. I'm going to go to the places that Jesus is on the way to and I'm going to say, wait till you meet the king. Wait till you meet the savior. He's on his way. Get ready. I can begin to excite people for a savior that's going to come and make a difference to their lives. We go out to prepare a way. But you know what? That's quite a responsibility as well. It means I need to think very carefully about how I'm living and what I'm saying and who I'm speaking to and how I'm sharing. You know, our lives are going to be the thing that will often portray the gospel that we're hoping people to understand. See, if I go out and I'm a miserable, grumpy guy, and I'm like, oh, Jesus is on the way. People are going to be out that day. People aren't going to be waiting to receive this great message that is to come. Anyway, let's keep going. Across the, the rest of, of this passage from Luke chapter 10, we get these incredible verbs that I feel like are the rhythm of mission that we're called to. These are the verbs. Ask, go, enter, say, stay, eat and drink, remain, heal and tell. And these are the ones that I want to go through this morning. These are the ones that I want to get into deeply so we can understand the rhythm that Jesus gives us. Verse 2 first. Then he told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Mission starts with prayer. It's really essential. Before you go anywhere, pray. Before you do anything, pray. Before anything missional happens, pray. The temptation is just to get going. We psych ourselves up for mission. Let's just run around and be busy doing mission. You know what? The secret to mission, the greatest missionary strategy is simply to pray, to ask Jesus Ask the Lord of the harvest to begin to bring in the workers for the harvest field, to begin to help us with the harvest. I remember after we'd moved into our neighborhood, we began to see amazing things begin to happen. We saw some wonderful things happen on our streets. And we were invited by the Anglican church where there was a group of little old ladies. They said, please come and tell us some of your stories. And so we were like, dun, 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 dun. you know, heroes coming in, stand by old ladies. And, uh, and they were all there sitting around drinking the cups of tea. And uh, we began just to share some of the things that God had been doing where we'd seen God at work. And they were like, oh, oh, isn't it wonderful? And at the end, as I'm going out feeling like a superhero, this little old lady sidled up to me and she said, wow. I've been praying for four decades that God would do something incredible in our neighborhood. I've been praying for four decades that God would send young missionaries to this community. I've been praying for four decades that God would begin to see salvation in our streets. She said, you're the answer to my prayer. And in that moment, I'm like, Woof. You know what? It isn't my missionary endeavors. It isn't all my hard work. It isn't me running around trying to be creative. Actually, it all starts in the place of prayer. Before you go anywhere, before you do anything, pray. 
And who do we pray to? We pray to someone described in this passage as the Lord of the harvest, the master of the harvest, the harvest boss, the one who controls the harvest. And he tells us what? That the harvest is plentiful. And therefore we pray expectant. The harvest field isn't empty. We're not told to pray that there be harvest growing up. We're told to pray to the Lord of the harvest. To send people out to collect it all in, there's so much, but yet we as a church often expect there to be nothing there. It's going to be hard. It's going to be barren. Change your expectations, church. The harvest is plentiful. We've got to pray, firstly, that Lord, the Lord would send out workers. So fascinating that the first thing that Jesus says to his 72 before they've even left anywhere is, stop and ask for help. The harvest is so big. The harvest is on. Raise your expectation. Let's be expectant. Next verb is go. Jesus says, go, I'm sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. I love how Jesus makes this personal. He says, go, I'm sending you. Hear it this morning. Hear the Lord say, you are to go. It's not everybody else. It's not for extremists. It's not for specialists. That's a problem, you know, sometimes when I'm invited to speak. I tell some kind of stories that make people think it's like missions and extreme sport. Hear it again this morning. The Lord says to you, go. Go. I'm sending you out. We're to be a going people. All of us. And he says, go as lambs amongst wolves. We're not called to be wolves amongst lambs. We're not supposed to be aggressive or angry. Mission is not a war. The mission of God is not a battle, a fight against those that must be overcome. We are not warrior wolves. We are gentle lambs. Peaceable, pure, obedient, vulnerable, and dependable. And what do we go with? Well, these guys are told, do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. These nameless disciples, these anonymous disciples are sent out, headed out on mission, penniless, with nothing. No shoes, no extra sandals. Leave all your stuff here, lads, and then off you go. I remember when I turned up to do Eden, I'd like packed all my belongings into my dad's car and he'd driven me from the suburbs into the inner city and then I started emptying everything, all my stuff. And I started noticing neighbours having a look. Oh, quite like that. Oh, he's got a microwave. You know, people began to see all the stuff that I had. Saw one guy taking notes, I'll have that. And he did. But these guys, they're sent out with no money, even to buy food. They can't pay for a nice hotel. They're sent barefoot almost, with no spare undies, and there's not even a talk of a toothbrush. These guys are sent out, just take the gospel, that'll be enough. But how often we feel like we've got to go on mission with everything. Imagine if these guys had turned up with everything. Imagine if they turned up with like donkeys and camels laden with loads of stuff and there's a massive tent. Quick, lads, get the tent up. Let's, uh, let's just stop for some snacks. Let's make ourselves comfortable. 
No need of anybody. What kind of gospel are they communicating? And our temptation is to bring the gospel with all the trimmings, all the big stuff, all the big noise. Get out the mission gear. The big show. But the gospel needs no show. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. It's got all the power that it needs. We need lightweight disciples. If you feel like you've got nothing, you feel like you've got no skills, no ability, nothing, you're probably in the right kind of place. Dependent on God to provide everything that you need to do his mission and to go where he would have you go. No clutter, no clutter in our communication of the good news. I sometimes wonder whether we dilute our gospel message by just filling it with noise and stuff. Let's not distract others from the good news of the gospel. Which is why Jesus says, don't meet, uh, don't meet anyone on the, on the road. Don't stop to greet anyone. And I feel like that sounds like the worst evangelistic advice of all time. Pass someone on the street? Nope, sorry, can't stop. Why is he saying that? He's saying, keep the gospel right at the heart of things. You know what? You're on a mission. Don't get distracted. You're going somewhere. You've been sent. There's a task. There's a people you've got to go to. And there's going to be things on the way that are always going to try and distract you, keep your eyes fixed, keep going, stay on track. Imagine if these guys turned up at your house and they're urgent and they've got nothing. They bang on your door and they've got nothing to show for, for, for all that they have. It's like they're empty-handed, but all they have is the good news of the gospel. You know they've got something that's worth listening to. Be careful what you fill your life with. Next verb. We enter. We enter. We're told to enter. We enter the homes. We enter the lives of those that we've been sent to. It's so important to receive an invitation. I always say, if you're invited into someone's house and it's safe to go in, always receive a welcome. Always take what's offered. Because when we get past the front door, we begin to see what's important in people's lives. We see what they spend their time and their effort and their energy on. We, we know what's important to them, where they spend their money and what they do every bit of their waking life. Real life is found behind the door. And when you get past someone's front door and into their lives, you can begin there to minister. It's there in the intimacy of homes that we begin to share our lives. And as we share our lives, we share Christ. We share what is important to us. And we do it from the place of intimacy and of welcome. Their welcome. Often we make mission happen on our turf. Why don't you come to where we are? Jesus says, go and take a welcome. When they open the door and welcome you in, you go. I remember this one particular time I was, um, I was invited to a, a guy that I'd been working with. This family, uh, mum and dad, were both heroin addicts. And I'd been doing some work with their, their son who was coming to our youth club. And, uh, and uh, they said, you know, I became quite good friends with them and stuff. And they said, oh, the rule is, though, when you come to our house, you don't knock. You know, you just walk in. He said, the only people who knock on my door are the cops. And so you're not a cop, so you walk straight in. That sounds good, doesn't it? Apart from the fact that they have got a dog. And I'm, I got bitten when I was a kid, and I'm like really scared ridges of dogs. I know it's pathetic. Let's just move on. I was bitten by a dog, and, so, and their dog wasn't just any dog. It was like half pit bull, half wolf, right? 
and it was called Havoc. <laughs> and it had been trained to kill. And, uh, and so, so like, they didn't need a, to lock their front door because they had Havoc, right? So I'm thinking, the minute I open this door, we're going to get eaten by Havoc. I'd really like to knock. I said to my mate, please, can I knock? I'll knock on the window if I have to, but I can't just walk in. And he was like, no one knocks on my door. No one knocks on my window. Just walk in. Oh, please, mate. Anyway, and so I, I go around and I'm like outside the door, like quivering like this. I walk in and then I hear like the scratch of a dog on the, on the, on the, like, uh, on the wooden floor. And he comes, bends around the bend and he runs at me. And my mate Dan is like the dog whisperer. And he says, if a dog runs at you and you're fearful, just turn your back. And you'll show him that you're the alpha male, or the alpha dog. And so I turned my back and the dog was like, ha, ha, ha. And it jumped straight on my back, right? I've got Havoc's head here. And I can hear him going, I'm going to eat you now. No one turns their back on me. And, uh, and so he's like, like this. My mate thankfully calls him, Havoc. And Havoc gets down. It just gives me a look like, later. Flipping eat you later, son. And so I go into the front room, and the front room is filled, filled with people. It's like a surprise party, but the, there's no surprise party. You know, they're all looking at me like, who are you? And my mate says, uh, he, he says, um, he, he begins to sh like tell me who's in the room, and he says, oh, this fella's um, Billy Bighead, because he's got a big head. And this guy's, this guy's. Uh, China, guess where he's from. And he like, goes around the room, and they're all addicts, and there's a, a, and there's a prostitute in the corner there, and, th and there's a guy called Sean, just called Sean, because he used to be the kickboxing champion of Europe, and you don't call him anything but Sean. Like, he's there. And, um, and, uh, and, and then my mate says, and this is Sam. He's a priest. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no. Never been a priest. And he's like, yes, you're a priest. I'm like, okay, okay, I'll do and, um, and they're all waiting for drugs. There's been, uh, there's been like a, a problem with the supply to our neighborhood. And they've all come to my mate's house because that's where the drugs are expected to come. And so they're all waiting and they thought I might be bringing it. And so when they find out I'm a priest, they look at me like, oh. And then Carla says, uh, this, this, this lady in the corner, she says, um, are you a real priest? And I'm like, well, not really, whatever. And, uh, and she begins to say, well, do you pray? And I said, yes. And she says, you're a real priest. And, uh, and then she begins to say, will you pray for me? And I say, yeah, sure, what can I pray for? And she asked me to pray, and then, and then another guy asked me to pray. And before I know it, I've got this little prayer meeting full of heroin addicts, and I take my Bible out of my pocket, and I begin to share some passages, famous passages of Scripture that you all know. And they're like, he is a priest. And they're really getting into it. You know what? When I begin to get in past the front door, when we begin to share our lives with people, we find ourselves in opportunities where we can bring the good news of gospel to life. Would they have come to my house? Never. I find myself drawn into the most intimate place. The next verb is say. Say. When we enter a house, first say peace. Isn't that beautiful? The first thing that's supposed to come out of our mouth is peace. I think the first thing that should come out of my mouth should be a gospel preach that I have been practicing since I was 17. Wrong. You want a rhythm of mission? When you enter someone's house, bring peace. 
What does the world need right now? What do families need right now? What do people you need right now need right now? What do you need right now? You need the peace of God. Wherever we go, may the first thing that comes out of our mouth be peace. We had new neighbours during lockdown. They moved into our house. And uh, in fact, they'd moved from one end of our street to the other. And when I was chatting to them, they said, you know what? The end of your street feels different. I said, What's, why is it different? They said, there's a peace here. There's a peace here. Well, there should be, because the people of God are here. And I'm like, welcome to the place of peace. Move in and receive God's peace. This will be known as the place of peace. May this church be known as the place of peace. When people walk in through your doors, may they say, there is peace in this place. When they come to our grocery, may they say, I feel at peace. We need to be peace bringers. The next verb is to stay. We're told to remain. Our temptation is often to run about and be crazy on mission, but here Jesus says stay. Where peace is received, invest time. Mission is a slow thing. It's not always fast. Sometimes we need to put down roots and begin to think about the long game. This is not something we need to rush to. We need to be able to stop and remain. And sometimes mission will feel inconvenient. You know, I've got things to do, other things, other places I could be, but actually mission is going to take our time and sometimes feel uncomfortable. Don't move around. Don't spread yourself too thinly. Invest and go deep. I remember... um, one time just being on the way to work and I was really frustrated because I always love to be dead on time for work. And I walked out my door and I saw a neighbor and she was like, Sam. I was like, ah, oh, five to nine. Ah, oh, how inconvenient. And I felt like God say, stay. Listen. Listen right now. Be late because this is important. And I said, hey, good morning, Natalie. And she said, good morning. She said, And then she began to crack open her life. You know, when I stopped, when I began to listen, when I asked her how she was, what came out was this overflow of brokenness. What I didn't realize was Natalie was an asylum seeker. She'd come from an African continent where her father had been like a, a political leader and there'd been some form of coup and they'd had to flee for a life and her dad had been killed but she'd managed to escape and on her way from Africa she'd been picked up by um, uh, 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 traffickers she'd been raped and she'd become pregnant and the daughter that now she lived with was the product of all this brokenness and I'm like a bit late for work not got the time for this But when we do as Jesus says, when we go about a new rhythm of ministry, a new rhythm of mission, when we do things Jesus' way, when we slow down, when we get our pace right, when we make time for people, when we open our ears to hear what Jesus might be doing, sometimes we hear the voice of the broken saying, help me, help me. We've got good news but sometimes we've got to listen to Jesus tell us where to bring it. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says, because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Sometimes we feel like all we've got, the only important thing we've got to share is the good news of Jesus. Hear the challenge today. Sometimes sharing your life, sharing your story, sharing what you have, 
could be the most important thing to unlocking gospel opportunities. We need to get a shift on. Next, we're told to eat and drink. Having taken nothing with them, these guys are dependent on those they've gone to bring good news to, to provide for them. It seems absolutely absurd. But these guys get to the point where they're willing to receive. They're willing to take what they're given and they sit down. And actually, I love it how in the ordinary, there's nothing more ordinary than eating and drinking. We all do it every day. It's a rhythm of life. And then it's interesting how Jesus reminds us of the rhythms of life. And he says, as often as you eat and drink, may mission flow this naturally. This ordinary. Sometimes we make missions so like extreme or or like momentary or something we'll do for a weekend or a or or a week. I'm just on mission this week. Every day you eat and you drink. Rhythms of mission should be like this too. And sometimes as we eat and drink, we find incredible opportunities. And so I've always said, if someone invites you in, go in. And if they invite you to eat, make sure you eat because there's something unique about sharing meals, something unique about sharing bread. When we do that, sometimes Jesus appears. You know, it happens in Luke 24 where where he's on that road to Emmaus. The boys don't recognize him until they break bread. And it's like, there he is. Sometimes when we eat and drink with people, Jesus is revealed. I remember being invited to the house of an asylum seeker and me and my wife who, apart from bacon, is a vegetarian. And, uh, and so we're sat in his house. He doesn't sit with us. He just cooks all the time and he keeps bringing dishes. And we're eating this food and then my plate is filled with this stuff I don't recognize. I'm like, whoa, I wonder what that is. I eat it and it's like meaty marshmallow. And I'm like, whoa, it's a bit weird. I'm going to be honest with you, a bit more salt. And so I'm trying to like cram my mouth with this food just like get it down as fast as possible and it comes out and I said oh what is this what is this dish and uh, this is after I've eaten my wife's as well I've like, and he's like you like it and I'm like oh yes <laughs> I said but what is it and he said it is the ah, ah, of the sheep and I'm like the hoo-ha of the sheep and I'm like the lungs I'm eating like lamb lungs I'm like ah but actually there in the place of like receiving Jesus is revealed I remember going to the house of an addict and he he welcomed me and we sat at his coffee table and and his his missus said do you want a brew and I said yeah I'll take a brew and she picked up this cup from the table that was being used as an ashtray and she walked to the kitchen I'm like where are you going with that and she shouts from the kitchen and she says um she says you want sugar I'm like Yes, lots of sugars. And she comes back with this cup and it's still dirty on the outside, but inside it's tea, sugary tea, and I drink it. But there in the moment of receiving, I've done away with the levels of hierarchy where I say, I'm the one who brings mission to you. I'm the one who serves you. And I begin to be served. And in that process, they begin to see that they have value. They have importance. And I'm able to say, "Core, you guys, you're so generous. You're so good. You remind me of this guy. His name is Jesus. We need to move on. We're told to heal the sick. And suddenly you're like, I'm out. So far I can do everything. I can go. I can, I can ask. I can share peace. I don't mind food and drink. That's all good. But when it gets to healing, you're like, specialist subject. I'm out. But what I love here is Jesus. He says, the ordinary, eating and drinking. Maybe we should be expecting of healing to come as often and as ordinary and as regular as those 
moments of eating and drinking. I remember going to see a mate of mine, again, recovering addict, and he began to share what was going on in his life. And his brother was there, cynical of what, whether Jesus was real, cynical of whether Jesus was alive. And uh, I just began to uh, wonder whether Jesus was even real. He was so critical. But then my mate began to share about the healings he'd received. And he said, you know what? Sometimes I'd, I'd gone and I was struggling with my addictions. And, uh, and I was struggling with pain. I was struggling with sleep. And Sam and the team prayed for me. And I began to feel a tingle on the top of my head and on my toes. And then the healing came. Sleep came. Restoration came. We're told to see healing as often. And finally, as our band comes, we're told to tell. Isn't it interesting? After you've had all those verbs, we're told to ask and go and enter, to say and to stay, and to eat and to drink and to heal. And then our final verb is to tell. It's only now, right at the end, after you've done all this stuff, that we're supposed to tell. And what do we tell? We tell that the kingdom of God is near. It's only after we've done the rest. Sometimes it's the first thing that we think we've got to bring. I've just got to share the good news. But actually people need to see that what we're sharing is true to our lives. And when our lives are on display, when our mouths finally open with the good news that the kingdom of God is near, it suddenly all begins to fit together. It comes right at the end. It comes after our lives have been displayed. I uh, felt challenged some time ago that maybe I needed to be making mission regular and mission daily and mission as ordinary as in eating and drinking. And I felt like God say, you know, instead of just the big stories, the amazing stories, the stories that happen once a year, maybe you need to be looking for the small things of the mission of God that are happening each and every day. Maybe Sam commit to trying to tell someone, to sharing the good news of Jesus in word and in deed, just once a day. And I went, I remember the day, it was a significant day. It was the day I was going to court to find out whether we could adopt my little girl. And so I wanted to have a nice, fresh haircut for the court. And so I went to my barber's and my barber, well, she's an interesting character. She's as wide as she is tall. Very strong Glaswegian accent. Tattoos of naked women on her arm. Skinhead at the back. She's tough. And we've always had this rule. We don't talk. I don't even get to pick my hair cut, which is why it kind of looks like this. I just sit in the chair and she begins to cut. And I felt like God say, she's your one for the day. And I said, can we start tomorrow? She's your one. Tell her about me, Sam. I've been coming to this lady to get my hair cut for seven years. Tell her about me, Sam. How do you crack a conversation with someone you've never really talked to, even though you've seen her and she's touched your head many times? And so I said, hey. And she said, oh, you talk. I said, hey. She said, anything else? I said, oh, hello. Trying to find a way in. She said, go on, what are you doing at the weekend? I thought, I'm in. Because Sunday's church. So I talked a long time about Saturday. All the things I was planning to do, and I said, and Sunday's church. And I thought, thank you, Lord, I'm done. Tell her about me. And then she said, ah, oh, church, you're one of those Christians, are you? I said, yeah. She said, 
I grew up in church. But when I was a teenager, I got pregnant by a man in my community and my church leader told me I was to leave and to never come back. I've never been to church since. And I said, ah. Oh. I'm done, Lord. Got nothing. Tell her about me. And so I said, you know what? I made a promise to God that each and every day I'd try and find a way of sharing some good news about him. And I feel like you're my one. You're my one for the day. So I said, you know he loves you. He wants me to tell you that he loves you. He wants you to know his peace. But then she stops cutting. And she stares at me awkwardly in that mirror where she's looking at you, looking at her. And then I see this tear well up in the corner of her eye and make its way down her face. And she begins to encounter the love of God and his peace. Come, Lord Jesus. And she says, I better come. I better come to church then, hey? And I said, please do. Please do. He wants you back. He wants you back. And that Sunday, that Sunday, I've taken all my church on a camping trip. And so I'm in the middle of a field with no signal and my phone rings with a number I don't know and I think, shall I bother to answer it? But I decide in that moment to answer the call and it's my barber on the phone and she says, where are you? I'm at the church. And I said, no. Of all the weeks, it's the one week we're not there. I'm so sorry. And she never comes again. Only joking. She comes back the next week and the week after that and the week after that. And she doesn't know the rules about church, so she sits on the front row next to me. Every week she sits on the front row because she's my friend and we're in church together. And I know we've got to finish, but let me close this one out. And there was this one beautiful moment. I remember saying to her, she started to come into community groups. She started doing Bible studies with us. And I said to her, do you think you could ever pray out loud? She said, not a chance. Then one day we sat next to each other in church and she hands me this note. And it's a note that's been folded a million times. I think the record's eight and she'd had to go at nine. It was like this crumpled up thing. And I unfurled it and inside this note was this prayer. And I read it and I began to weep. It was his prayer of thanks to God for his rescue, for his love, for the peace that she now knew, for the forgiveness she'd received. I'm like, what do you want me to do with that? She says, you're going to read it. I said, today, now? Yeah, okay. But just as I'm about to stand up, to go to the front with a microphone to read out this prayer, She snatches the mic and the paper and she stands up and she begins to pray. And everybody's crying because this girl's received. This girl knows Jesus. This girl knows the goodness of God. This girl knows the faithfulness. And she begins just to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you found this podcast inspiring and helpful, then we'd love for you to get in touch via at LifeLanks on social media or our website, lifelanks.org. Life Church, impacting our network.